Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Mariana Bravo and this is the Autosport Podcast. Lewis Hamilton has converted his 100th pole position into a victory, marking his 5th consecutive win in Spain and also his 98th career win. A track that doesn't often provide us with the most thrilling race, but today we saw strategy keeping things interesting between the two title contenders. At the start of the race, the two leaders nearly touched as Max Verstappen got his elbows out at the first corner and took the lead from Lewis. Meanwhile, Charles Leclerc also managed to gain a position after taking the outside line of turn 3 to overtake Valtteri Bottas. A safety car was brought out on lap 8 in order to recover Yuki Tsunoda's car after his engine appeared to just shut down, and Max managed to hold on to the lead at the safety car restart, and it wasn't long before Max and Lewis pulled away from the rest of the pack. Lewis stayed on Max's tail within around 1.5 seconds of him before Max pitted on lap 24, switching onto the medium tyres, and suffering an uncharacteristically slow pit stop of 4.2 seconds as his left rear was not ready when he came in. Mercedes chose not to pit Lewis straight after, and instead he stayed out for a few more laps before pitting and returning to the track 6 seconds behind Max. It took no time at all for Lewis to close that gap, but despite being in and out of Max's DRS, he couldn't quite pass him, and instead, Mercedes chose to flex their strategy, calling Lewis in for another pit stop. This left Lewis with 23 laps to go and around 23 seconds to find, whilst Red Bull chose to keep Max out front. Lewis did exactly what he needed to do, repeatedly setting fastest laps and taking the time out of Max's lead, but there was a moment of lost time as he approached his teammate, who was told not to hold Lewis up, but Valtteri didn't seem to want to make it too easy, and instead Lewis had to make the pass into turn 10. It was lap 60 when Lewis took the lead from Max, who just didn't have the pace or tyres to hold him back, and instead Max pitted again to get that fastest lap point, which he did. Despite initially losing position to Charles, Valtteri managed to get the position back and ended up finishing P3, with Charles a solid P4. Sergio Perez managed to come home P5 after a battle with Daniel Ricciardo, who had his strongest day with McLaren so far, finishing P6. Behind him, Carlos Sainz ended in P7 and Lando Norris in P8. Esteban Ocon didn't manage to convert his strong qualifying position and finished P9, one of only two drivers who ended up going for that one-stop strategy. And Pierre Gasly, who was given a five-second penalty at his first pit stop for being out of place at the start of the race, rounded off the top ten after a midfield battle in the closing stages for that final points position. That is your race overview, and I am joined by Stuart Codling, executive editor of GP Racing, Luke Smith, Autosports Formula One reporter, and Jess McFadden, director of digital strategy for Motorsport Network. 
Right, first off, guys, let's start with a rating out of 10 for today's race. I know that this is one of your least favourite tracks, Jess. So let's start with you. Did you find today enjoyable? Out of 10? I was pleasantly surprised. Like, Spain doesn't usually give us thrillers. It's just not set up to do that. It has a silly chicane at the end that basically ruins the whole thing. And I'd quite like to see that got rid of. But obviously, yeah, people are going to get mad at me for saying there's not enough area for runoff, as they did on Twitter. Strategy races are always a funny one, aren't they? Because they are so complex and they're a bit more, you know, they've got more to them than just a straight up banger of, you know, wheel to wheel battles and that kind of thing. So you have to take it for what it is. And I think I've seen similar comments on Twitter saying, you know, if that's going to be the boring race of the season, I'll happily take it. So... For me, you know, we had a lot, we had a bit going on. It wasn't hugely thrilling. You know, I did have various opportunities to pop off and make a cup of tea safely without missing anything. (laughs) Do you know what? I'd give it a six or seven out of 10. I don't think it wasn't terrible. Um, We did have a true fight for the lead. We had, you know, Lewis Hamilton chasing Max Verstappen down Uh, And showing us, you know, just why he is a seven time world champion and a hundred time pole sitter. I think it was it was better than I expected. So I was pleasantly surprised, but I had set my expectations rather low. You're right. (laughs) Not bad. Six, seven out of ten. Luke, what do you give it? Uh, Yeah, I'd agree with the six, I think. I think it was by Spain standards quite an interesting race. And I think the fact we had the teams going for split strategies, I think that really shook things up and made it quite interesting in the end and I think that the lack of overtaking it's still it's still a shame and particularly after a track like Portimao where it's quite easy to overtake and I think Bahrain at the season opener as well I think yeah it was just a bit of a it's a bit of a shame when you come to a track like this that we know so well the drivers know like the back of their hands and then you've got, as Jess said, that silly chicane. Um, Fernando Alonso said after the race, he was like, they should have DRS basically starting as early as possible out of the chicane to try and increase overtaking a bit. The changes to turn 10 didn't really do a lot. It made it a bit faster, which is a bit more enjoyable for the drivers. But in terms of overtaking or anything like that, it made not a jot of difference, I don't think. I thought, yeah, quite an interesting race. So I, I would go for I would go for a six. I'd agree with that. Codders, is it going to be sixes across the board or are you going to throw everything into Havoc? I, I feel like we're on the like the great British menu, aren't we? There should be dramatic music. You know, Spain, <laughs> I'm going to rate you a six. Then we need Andy Oliver to come along and, and read from the notes and say, we were we were quite impressed with some of the strategic flourishes, but but I'm, I'm afraid the chicane gives the race a perennially soggy bottom. Um, and quite frankly, I think, as, as I said to Jess on on the, the Twitter, or, or as the dossers who work in broadcasting would call it, Twitter, when you've got Nikita Mazjepin on track, you have no need of any more chicanes. If it means bulldozing the grandstand to have a, a proper corner there, let's go for it. In, in terms of the pantheon of Spanish Grand Prix recently, relative to other Spanish Grand Prix, it was an eight or nine because stuff actually happened. And generally speaking... Um, Spanish Grand Prix are about as eventful as Noah Clark's work diary for the next few months. So, yeah, here, here we are talking about strategy as if it's rescued that Grand Prix, which actually it has. You know, we, it would have been quite a processional Grand Prix, but for the fact that it didn't turn out to be the one stopper everyone expected it to. Although quite a lot of people who went for two stops then completely mistimed them and, and screwed themselves. So picking through that has been quite interesting. Nevertheless, not a thriller, so six. As we know, this track is notoriously difficult to overtake on, often leads to boring races, as we've just touched on. But today we had the strategy element of it, which did make it more entertaining. But let's start at the beginning, right on the first lap, right into that first corner, Max taking the lead and once again, making Lewis fight back for that position. It was another strong start for Max, wasn't it, Luke? It was, yeah. I think similar to Imola, where he just sent it completely up the inside and really did force Hamilton to the exit of that corner. It was a very similar thing here. And watching the onboards, he wasn't 
completely alongside Lewis and it was quite a lunge to go from that far back but uh, as he said himself after the press conference I went for it and he did and it forced Lewis back out and uh, yeah adjust his steering a bit to avoid the two colliding and uh, it was I thought a really big statement I think that it maybe just shows where the current sort of battle lines are drawn that Max is going to keep sort of I think trying to do these aggressive moves and keep sort of pushing and pushing and maybe every time he does it and it comes off he might think okay well I can get away with a little bit more next time I'll keep trying and might it end in tears at one point I hope so because that'd be an amazing story within this title fight but Lewis Hamilton he said after the race that to him it's it's a marathon it's not a sprint there was no point him throwing away the race at turn one just to try and desperately hold on to the lead when Max had, had sent it as he had but yeah I thought it was a, it was a great overtake a really great move great aggression from Max I don't think there's many drivers in the field who would have done that and tried it quite like that maybe there are but many probably wouldn't have actually pulled it off and would have just careered straight into the side of the Mercedes but Max has got the judgment he knows his competitor that he's up against in Lewis Hamilton Hamilton said after the race that he learned more about Max within this race than he has at any other point during their F1 rivalry which is really interesting I thought so I think it showcased the respect that's there between the two of them and I think it showed that Max is going to be willing to go for these aggressive moves and I think that he's it's good that he's got a very sort of understanding competitor in, in Lewis who can sort of work with him on that. And actually, probably in the cockpit, Lewis probably was a bit annoyed at first, but then was actually like, you know what, that was quite a good move. So yeah, credit where it's due to Max. That's an interesting point, though, because Lewis is quite an understanding competitor in response to it. And I know that he's since said that, you know, he doesn't need to get too aggressive. He doesn't get aggressive when he doesn't feel he needs to. Um, but as you've said Max might keep trying these moves. Do you think that it could come to a point where actually Lewis is like, okay, step too far, you know, getting a bit cheeky now? Do you think that maybe we'll reach that point, Codders? For now, they've been feeling each other out, haven't they? You've seen the beginning, particularly this season, um, those lines being drawn. So you looked at Imola, for instance, where, as Luke said, very similar setup to the first corner here. They're both together, but not quite together. Max didn't quite have uh, the car fully ahead and yet he he claimed the line and he snipped Lewis off Lewis's trajectory further around the corner. Now at Imola, Lewis tried to keep his foot in and ended up clattering over the kerbs. Here in Spain, he didn't do that. He he knew what was coming, or at least he responded to it more quickly. And he decided not to take, shall we shall we say, the stroll route through that corner, which is to go, ooh, he pushed me off and um, go over the curbs. So I thought it was very, very intelligent racing. It's what you expect of, of a driver who's, who's won as many world championships as, as he has. But yeah, like you say, there may just come a time where he has to say, okay, right, well, you've pushed me this far. And now it's got to stop because what what's going to happen is Max knows how far he can push Lewis now and he knows that Lewis will back out of it. And if that carries on, then he'll push a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further and something will give. Today's race was built around strategy. That's where the entertainment came from. Mercedes were really going for it with those strategy calls. First of all, not pitting Lewis straight after Max and then that second pit stop where they opened up the gap to 22, 23 seconds. Of course, the strategy was helped by the fact that they had that new set of mediums that they could switch to. Um, but they were really just taking their chances today and had full faith in Lewis's ability to fight his way back up and close that gap to Max, didn't they, Jess? It was definitely advantage Mercedes by having that extra set of mediums to, to fall back on um, because they could get aggressive with strategy. They had that option open, whereas Red Bull... It didn't look like they could have. That hard was never going to be a race tyre that any of them wanted to switch to. So it was, uh, at that point, it was definitely advantage Mercedes. And we know that to beat Mercedes on their A game is is really difficult. So, you know, uh, Max himself said that he was a bit of a sitting duck to be honest in terms of strategy so and I think that was that was really clear but obviously you do need a driver like Lewis Hamilton to be able to pull that 
pull that off and and to to close in in the way that Ma- uh, Lewis closed in on Max. I mean, it is it is thrilling to watch, it, and it was very uh, hungry twenty nineteen watching him kind of reel him in second by second every lap, um, and seeing Max kind of quivering in his in his car. I mean, not that Max is afraid of anything, but I think he just knew like the inevitable is coming. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was really interesting, and it just goes to show that even though. You know, Red Bull is a lot closer this season than they have been uh, in previous seasons. Mercedes just still have that edge. Um, and across the board, not just in the car package, but in the strategy and in the call. And, and F1, I think very often we look at, you know, just the race in terms of strategy calls. But obviously it, it's from Friday. You know, you've got to turn up and bring everything across the entire weekend. And that's what gave Mercedes that advantage today and allowed them to make that that second pit stop for, for Lewis. So again, it's just case in point of how strong Mercedes are as a team um, and how much reliance they have in, in, in Lewis. Um, I'm sure we're going to come on to Lewis's teammate in a sec, but um, you know, you just you just have that reliance on uh, on on him to be able to get it done, and which he did, and you know, uh, it just goes to show exactly why he is where he is. And I think that flows both ways as well. That Lewis Hamilton, he was catching Verstappen towards the end of that second stint, and it looked like they were as they were coming around to start what would have been lap 43, I believe, that he was going to make the pass using DRS into turn one. And then all of a sudden he dived into the pit lane. And Hamilton said after the race that he was conflicted about that. And he kind of felt like, well, no, I want to get this move done. Should I have just stayed out? Is it the right thing to be coming in? But obviously he's got full trust in his team that he would come in and be able to recover that time. And again, on the pit wall, I mean, they they did all the sums. And I asked Toto Wolff about it after the race. And he said that they were sort of basically had all the battle plans ready and they said this is the way we're going to do it this is is our best chance of winning is to not overtake him now but to come in pit and then we'll overtake him um their sons actually said that he would catch him with one lap to go and uh, toto said but they got it horribly horribly wrong because he actually caught him with six laps to go instead which was a, a very happy ending i think for mercedes but it's uh it just shows yeah how i think much trust there is from hamilton in the team that you can say look, you're just about to overtake this guy, but don't do it now. Take a pit stop, drop 23 seconds back and then do it. And he's like, yep, no problem. I've got full faith. And it just shows, I think just, again, we don't need to say how good this partnership is because we've seen that over the past six, seven years. But it was, I think, another showing of just the great trust there is between the two sides of it. That miscalculation is a nice mistake to make in Formula 1. Yeah, exactly. You want to make it that way rather than the other way. (laughs) Yeah, what I mean, lovely, what, what, a total, what a total rub in the face of total rub in the face of Red Bull by going, oh, you know, we thought it wasn't going to be until the first lap, and we, you know, we did it five laps before then, so oh, whoopsie. But you know, yeah. that's just it's just great. But yeah, I a hundred percent agree. The trust between Lewis and Mercedes, and and the relationship between them is just so so incredible, and I I think you really can't understate how important it is especially in strategy races like this and even though these sorts of races might not be the most fascinating when it comes you know world action it's incredible in showing the wider section of formula one in terms of the strategy calls the relationship between the driver the race engineer and all those people making decisions back in the factory so i actually yeah i thoroughly enjoyed it But looking at Max, he has said since the race ended that he wasn't actually hugely disappointed with the result because he felt like he did everything he could anyway. And as Jess said, he was just, you know, a bit of a sitting duck. Looking back at the race now, do any of you guys think that there was anything else that Max or Red Bull could have done to maybe have held onto the lead? I'm not I'm not convinced they could actually. I think they were checkmated by that second Mercedes stop and they knew it, which actually is all credit to Red Bull for spotting that because the the simple and quite dim thing to do would have just been to bring Max in next time round and put whatever tires they had on. And that wouldn't have done him any good because what was that? We're talking about twenty three laps on soft tires, all the other drivers who pitted around that time to put on softs thinking that'd be a great thing to do at the end of the race really really checked up their pace at the end of the race so Stroll, Raikkonen and Vettel all pitted around that sort of time all slowed down at the end of the race so they they kind of knew that they'd been done 
and that there was nothing I could do about it except let Max stay out there and, and do his stuff. So once again, that that shows a, a confidence. A Mercedes-like confidence in the ability of the driver, and you didn't hear any recriminations between the driver and the team saying, "Well, why didn't you bring me in for this? Why didn't we do that?" I think they kind of knew they'd been done, and they just knew they had to just deal with it in as and, and ameliorate the loss, as it were. So I'm, I'm very impressed with Red Bull's race, apart from the, the obvious late call for Max to make his pit stop, which led to a merry dance in the pits as the poor chap bearing the rear left tyre, had to run round the back of the car as it came to a halt. Staying on Red Bull, how much of a difference do you think it would have made if they had had the second car of Sergio Perez up there starting, you know, front second row today? Do you think it would have played into things at all? Do you think it would have given them more to do in terms of strategy? Because, of course, that's literally where they lost it, strategy today. Yeah, you've, you've opened up a can it of worms there. Deep in thought. It, I, I was trying to, I was trying to, yeah, I was trying to, try. I think it would have, I think it, oh, I mean, it would definitely have helped. Yeah, it can never hurt. But I think it would maybe have had a lot of assumptions to make in it. But had we had it a straight fight that you've got the two Red Bulls and two Mercedes at the front, I think that having that second bullet in the gun, as it were, they could have maybe, say, kept Checo out longer to go with Lewis and sort of cover off Max uh, and cover off Lewis that way perhaps but I, I don't I'm not really sure I think the fact that I mean we saw with Valtteri Bottas's race the fact he was passed by Leclerc and dropped so far back that kind of eliminated him completely from the picture so I think yeah I mean it, yeah it can never hurt at all and I think that I mean, my before the race, I, I said that my fear for Red Bull was that they'd be facing this two-on-one situation that they had a lot of the time last year and that Perez was meant to fix. And in the end, actually, it was a one-on-one situation because Bottas just didn't factor at all in that lead fight. So, so yeah, I think I think really the, the big thing for Red Bull is not having that fresh set of mediums that Mercedes did. And Mercedes said after the race that they always knew it was a possibility, so they wanted to keep that in their pocket. Whereas Red Bull, I think, as Cotter said, the moment that Hamilton pitted, they'd have probably gone, well, yeah, we've had it here because they literally couldn't match Mercedes for strategy. They couldn't have fitted a set of softs because Max would have, his pace would have nosedived at the end. And uh, yeah, I think that they did absolutely everything they could. So I think it's just maybe as they go into future races, they might just think, well, can we maybe sort of try and save a set of tyres here and there just in case? Um, but yeah, really, I don't think there was a lot more they could have done, even if Perez had been in the picture. It's going to be a short post-mortem, isn't it? When you are faced with situations like that, you need your second driver to scoop up as many points possible for the Constructors' Championship. And okay, he finished P5, but you know, you've got a Ferrari ahead of you that's meant to be way slower than you are. Um, and he had a bit of a difficult time. You know, he got stuck behind a McLaren for most of the of the race and it looked a bit a bit shady about how many points he was gonna manage to get in the end. And I think that's the thing that that you, you need to be when you are a second driver or, you know, second fiddle in that race because of the positioning that they, they found themselves in to be able to be there to scoop up as many points for the team as possible. Um, and he didn't come away with the most amount of points that he could have done. Um, and we you know we saw that, you know, even though Bottas didn't have a great race either, he at least managed to get back onto the podium. So it was kind of damage limitation there. But, you know, it puts Mercedes that much further ahead. So it's just... Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a, it's a twofold thing. It's the not being able to play it strategically, and then to also come away having lost the race and uh, not with the the uh, the the kind of the points haul they would want to going uh, going into the next round. It's not it's not going to take a long time to unravel the mystery. It's not going to take ten years, five series, umpteen guest stars, and a lot of twists and turns. They knew what had happened uh, when you know, they came over the radio and said it's hungry all over again. Your teammates in absentia and there's a huge gap into which Mercedes can drop. Now, if Perez had been occupying that space, there would have been no second Mercedes pit stop because they, they wouldn't have been able to do it. So they, they know what the problem is, that the that Perez wasn't where he should have been. And to be fair, it's a difficult track to overtake on. He got stuck behind Ricardo. But once again, if you don't do the job in qualifying, then you, you're kind of screwed at a track like Barcelona. Definitely. And they are going to really need Perez to start stepping up. I appreciate he's new to the car and he needs to get to grips with it. 
but they're at, they're in a really close battle with Mercedes this year and they need all the points they can get both for constructors and even with the drivers championship like we're saying you need the support of your second driver sometimes so I think there's only so much longer that Checo is gonna be able to get away with not pulling it out the bag uh, and we'll see what happens as the season unfolds Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. But Mercedes did have Valtteri starting on the second row. It didn't make a huge, yeah. huge difference. We're on our second like, can of worms already. <laughs> first of all, he lost track position on lap one to Charles in the Ferrari. And then he was just held up behind him. And then, you know, he was just left behind by Lewis and Max. Anyway, he was just trailing behind. Jess, what were your thoughts on Bottas's performance today? Why are you coming to me first, I wonder? Um, I did just... <laughs> Why not? Well, yeah, yeah, not not a great not a great weekend really um, for Bottas yet again. I feel like there's a common thread starting to build, um, but you know I think Charles Charles's move. I don't want to take anything away from Charles's move because I thought it was absolutely brilliant uh, around turn three, very Alonso esque. Uh, although he said he'd never seen that move, he'd never seen the Alonso move, but it was like. If you see this, the someone put on Twitter like the the screenshots and it's the exact same. So quite funny that he hadn't seen that and still put it off. But Bottas said he just didn't see him, which right I know I know lap one right. Like, there's a lot going on, but surely big red car coming up behind you, you're gonna see it. I don't know. I'm not a racing driver. Maybe I can't comment. But for me, that just seems that's a bit of a that's error number one, which he couldn't afford really. Um, and obviously, as we've said, cost him dearly. I think he was dropped. I mean, what was it? Seven seconds by the end of uh, lap one or something. That was a big, big gap um, because he got stuck behind that Ferrari. The interesting moment when he was given team orders and then wasn't very happy about it. Now, he said that obviously he's got his own race to run and he did have to think about Leclerc which the fact that we're saying that when he's driving a Mercedes is a bit worrying. When I first saw the <laughs> him letting Lewis by in inverted commas, um, I think it looked maybe slightly more of an aggressive let by than, than is to be believed because of the camera angle. Uh, it looked like Lewis had to make a racing move around his teammate, even though his teammate had been given team orders. But I, I, I've been, I've been advised that potentially it's not as aggressive as it, as it might've looked on first, uh, on first review. I don't know what the, what the rest of the guys on the panel think. Um, but it's just a, it's a bit obscure, isn't it really? And again, just, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because the results, the results don't really show the complexity of the race and I think he's quite lucky to be coming in and, and having a taking home a third place trophy because it wasn't really a podium drive from Valtteri Bottas today I would say um, and again like yeah probably just a few question marks and uh, scratching of heads really to go back to Mercedes with and, and come into to Monaco where as we all know qualifying is what counts so yeah just a bit of a strange one um, but it's just it's just not shaping up very well. Obviously, he's moved up to third in the championship, but that's because Lando Norris had not a great race, um, and so he's been he's kind of been saved by that. But yeah, just a bit of a bit of an odd one. That it's bizarre that Lando falling off a bit today is what allows Valtteri to claim that third position in the championship. That's just absolutely does not make sense when he's in a Mercedes. Um, but Codders, yes, your thoughts on. Bottas and on the move slash overtake that Lewis had to do because Bottas didn't seem to give way as easily as he could have, shall we say? Yeah, he didn't. He didn't exactly slam the door in his face, but he didn't um, roll out the red carpet and bring out the cocktail glasses and the and the wine list, did he? It was. Um, it, it it wasn't hugely obliging. 
And, you know, Jess mentioned earlier the, the making of cups of tea during that race. I, I, ch- I chose the safety car period early on as my window for making tea. I know I went, I was going a little bit early, but I thought you never know. And and metaphorically speaking, um, Valtteri seemed to be on a tea break as well, certainly come the restart, where um, he was gapped like a spark plug. Leclerc was about 20 miles up the road uh, on the start-finish straight. And I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was actually agog. And I wrote that I wrote the word agog in in, in my notebook <laughs> because well yeah because the Leclerc was closer to Hamilton than Bottas was to Leclerc which is just like yeah bonkers. did he need someone to that? ring a bell in his uh, down the team radio or something to say that you know restart coming be on be on the back end of the car in front yeah I, I like I said agog it was among the most ridiculous things I've seen in a motor race particularly since he absolutely <laughs> surely well, not yeah, I, I, I suppose so you know Nigel Mansell nearly unbuckling his seatbelts in order to lean out the cockpit and shake his fist at Olivier Gruyard uh, in fury that, that's that's among the most ridiculous things the man in the kilt walking down the start finish straight uh, at Silverstone say, no, no down the hangar straight rather saying Jesus saves or whatever also ridiculous things but um, no just just allowing yourself to sort of, I don't know, perhaps he was rehearsing, uh, you know, he's, he's got some mega karaoke number that he's, he's going to do. Maybe he's maybe he's going to do, um, he, he's, he's going to out Tina Turner, Tina Turner in his version of Private Dancer in his next karaoke session. And he was just rehearsing the, the particular timbre he was going to enunciate the words. Anything but actually concentrating on doing the restart properly. Basically, it was a you've, you've got one job moment, wasn't it? You have one job, which is to overtake the car in front, particularly given that the car in front is one that shouldn't have been in front of you because you let him by on the first lap and there we are that that was his race done because as soon as uh, Lewis and Max uh, took off again um, he, you know he, he fell off faster than Richard Chamberlain in the towering inferno you know you needed a telescope to see him well and, and also you've got the you've got the point that having found himself in that situation your next job is then not to impede your teammate who is trying to chase down the win and so the fact that he, what, he was costing Lewis a second, uh, a second a lap, something like that when he was stuck behind him. It's just like Luke's, Luke's shaking his head though. So I want to know what Luke, he's, like, come he's, on Luke. He's got the magic Maybe notebook. Quiet, what, are you, yeah. what are you saying? I didn't really see the, the big fuss and big deal about it and I don't know if I maybe wasn't concentrating as much as I should have been at that point in the race but I kind of saw the move and I was like okay that's done and then all of a sudden I looked at Twitter and everyone's going ah oh, he's held him up and I was just like did, did he like and looking back at the move he did cost him it, how, how much though how much really it was it was it was over a second and considering that uh, Lewis had to find a second a lap to chase down yeah. Max yeah and he was going that was, was actually quite he was going at two seconds a lap so he was like I, to me I didn't think that there was a big if it had been on a closer knife edge fine but and, and that's something that again it was put to Toto Wolf after the race and he said that ideally he would have liked it to have been done a bit quicker but because it didn't impact the result, therefore he, it's okay. And he said, we'll have a chat about it, but in a very sort of good camaraderie style. Um, yeah, Bottas, he said that, well, it's not my not my job to let other drivers pass. And he was thinking about his own race, but also that he he understood. And, and Lewis Hamilton said that actually he didn't expect to be given team orders as far as he was concerned, because we are so early in the season. He thought that they were racing for position. So he thought he'd have to get the job done himself, but knew he had the tire life that it'd be absolutely okay to do so. So, so yeah, okay. Bottas could have made it a bit easier, but I don't, I don't think it's, this is like a massive, ah, oh, Bottas defies team orders moment or anything like that. I think it is, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And okay, maybe you could have made life a little bit easier, but I don't think it was as sort of, it was it was never going to be race wrecking or anything like that, I don't think. So, um, and that maybe speaks more to just how good Lewis was today and how much of a pace advantage he had. Um, yeah, had it been a bit closer, then it might have been the Bottas, yeah, that second or, or so that he cost, that would have been more costly. But yeah, I... Um, I, I can see both sides of it, but I, to me, I, I just sort of looked at it and I was just like, yeah, fair enough. Like that's a, it wasn't too damaging, I didn't think in the end, but I, I know that doesn't fit the it narrative. It wasn't but. damaging in the end, but if Lewis hadn't got the win, it could have been. And I think that's why it was a strange, strange incident because I mean, yeah, in the oh, end, Mercedes, Lewis got Mercedes the win. Would ne- Mercedes would never have let that happen though. Would that, like, mm-hmm. like realistically, I think if it had gone any longer... 
there yeah. would have been a Valtteri, Valtteri it's James, or Valtteri, it's Toto. <laughs> like, it'd have been a Valtteri, it's Toto, get the F out the way. Um, oh, speaking of which, slight tangent, really enjoyed the old FIA radio call oh, to yes. Michael Massey from Toto. I thought that was, that was a some nice great addition. insight. Also, cute that he calls him Mikey. I uh, thought that was quite nice. That's a little bit of insight you don't usually get. But anyway, we digress. Came from nowhere, but I thoroughly appreciated having a little look-see into the conversations that they're having. Now, going into this race weekend, everyone was saying, you know, that this is the track where we'll get a good indication of where the teams are falling and also where Red Bull and Mercedes stack up against each other. Now that the race is done and dusted, now that Mercedes have taken the win, Lewis has taken the win... What are your thoughts on this championship battle between the two teams? I, I would go with, I think Red Bull has an advantage over one lap still. I think they're still the team to beat in qualifying. But I think the Mercedes look a bit stronger over the race. They particularly look stronger as we get towards the end of the, the stints on these tyres. And we saw that we saw that today, I think, in both stints. Even on the softs, Hamilton was able to slowly make some inroads towards Max before he pitted. And then, uh, yeah, he had a, a tyre delta on the mediums, but he was able to catch up so, so quickly at a good sort of well over a second a lap. So I think, that, I think that's going to put Mercedes in really good stead, I think, for sort of looking into sort of the... the the long run for this season and I think that yeah as long as they can kind of get on top of uh, maybe some of their qualifying setbacks but do you say setbacks I mean they've had pole position at three races this season but I think it's uh yeah that's how it's kind of shaping up and I, I just think that my my fear for Red Bull is that I think they've missed their chance to really make a big dent in Mercedes early whilst they've got the quickest car, particularly in, in Bahrain and Imola, um, and really take out a huge points haul. And yeah, Lewis Hamilton, he's 14 points ahead of a championship. And two races ago, he spent a minute sat in the gravel. It's just crazy that he's been able to turn that around and get that advantage. Um, and I just think Red Bull, yeah, maybe at some points like today, they, they couldn't really have done much more. So it's just fair play to Mercedes. But I just think they've missed the big chance to get a big sort of points haul early, get an advantage. And then as Mercedes inevitably come back, um, be able to sort of lean on that a little bit. I think that it's maybe just a bit of a missed opportunity for them. It also, it could just be that the Mercedes has been shown to be weak at uh, tyre warm-up, uh, particularly on the on the rear axle, because they've they've tried to engineer the car to be kinder to its tyres, which has been a historic weakness for Mercedes. Um, may, maybe we've been reading too much into this sort of being gentle on its tyres as a weakness based on the prevailing weather conditions at the, the previous two rounds, which were co- much cooler than expected. Uh, maybe this is a little bit more representative of Mercedes' race pace and, and, and that car, if it is able to work its tyres better over a stint, well, you, know, you you look just look at what Lewis has the magic he's worked at a circuit where it's difficult to overtake. You ma- you imagine any other track he'd be quite lethal. So I think it, it bodes well in terms of the on track battles for the rest of the year. But yeah, certainly Red Bull will be looking to claw back a little bit of that race pace and find whatever tactics they can they can do, whatever changes they can make to set up to try and eke a little bit more tire life out. And have a second driver who actually is in the hunt rather than pratting around five places back. P4 for Charles. Like we said, he had a good move on Bottas in the opening lap and he seemed really pleased with his result after the race. Um, Carlos finished P7. He's definitely adapting to the car better than some of the other newbies to their teams have done. What are your thoughts on Ferrari? Definitely clear, clear improvements. Um, but what do you think for how, for the season ahead and how things are going to unfold? Do you feel like they're going to be in for a good shot at podium in some of the races that we've got ahead of us or maybe not there just yet? Charles seems to have this skill to put the Ferrari in a position whereby if should the opportunity arise, and we saw this last season as well, he can have the car in the right position to take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves in front of him. If, for instance the top two teams decide to have an argy-bargy. I mean, we, we talked about potentially uh, a Lewis and Max blow up once Lewis decides you're not coming up the inside of me, boyo. We're going to have it out and we have incidents, which, you know, as we go through the season as well, we tend to get a bit more, I don't know. Well, Lewis always seems to get better, which is quite scary. But, you know, we do get, we do tend to get a bit more heat between 
teams and drivers because the points start really making a difference and we really have to start thinking about um, positions in the in the championship so you know Charles Leclerc is one of those drivers who if he's going to take advantage of an opportunity he, he will do it and he will find it um, so I think you know podiums on outright pace no um, but podiums on being in the right place at the right time to scoop up opportunities uh, you know never say never we saw some pretty crazy podium uh, lineups last year um so you know you never say never in formula one but i think you know it's 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 a good showing um, and actually when you look back i mean it's not his obviously his best start to a formula one season ever but it's actually not that far off his first season with ferrari so you know it's 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 a good showing from him and it just goes to show what an amazing driver he is um and what an amazing talent and with carlos I think I I genuinely think Carlos Sainz is one of the most underrated drivers of the current grid. I think he is he is a really strong uh racer. He's he's a good qualifier. Um and I think, you know, he's 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 had a he's had to get to grips with the Ferrari, but he's shown um in recent races now that that he can do that and he he does adapt has adapted well. Um it's just that today he was it wasn't quite there for him as much as it was for Charles, but and obviously didn't qualify as high. So I think you know between the two of them, this is going to be a much needed respite from failure for Ferrari, um, and it's 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 an exciting pairing too. You know, it might not come together this season as they want, but I think for future seasons it's going to be brill. Um, and I'm really excited to see uh, to see them uh, battling it out as well. Yeah, I think uh, Leclerc's had a sort of a quietly excellent season so far, hasn't he? And it's been very different from his previous seasons where he's kind of been this sort of gladiatorial star in a, in a good car. This is all about maximising performance and just quietly doing a great job. And and it's interesting, the contrast between him and Carlos Sainz, who, like you say, is a good driver, but it's it's the small slips that have been costing him. Those those two, la- two positions he lost on the opening lap consigned him to a slightly less advantageous strategy and he was kind of on the comeback trail from there so he didn't he didn't put many feet wrong but certainly losing two places on on the first lap cost him dearly let's talk about the mclarens now so daniel ricardo had a good day today he finished ahead of lando who as we said uh didn't finish as highly as he has, didn't finish in the top five. But I mean, that's an incredible statement in itself that we're, uh, you know, calling that not a good day for Lando. Um, but Daniel seemed to be pulling things together a bit more today and seemed, again, very happy with his result. What did you make of his performance today, Luke? Yeah, it was very solid. I think that we've seen all of the drivers moving teams, as was touched on earlier. It's always been a bit of an adjustment phase. And I think with Ricardo, that's maybe actually hit him a bit harder than it has the likes of, I think, Carlos Sainz, for example. But this weekend, I mean, he just seemed a good sort of step ahead of Lando Norris all weekend, which again is saying a lot because Lando has been so, so good this season and uh, yeah to get sort of that that um i think i think it's a third victory in qualifying over lando this season but to then convert that into a pretty sound victory in the race as well i think that's a really good sort of statement for ricardo to have made so i think yeah that hopefully will sort of settle things down a bit calm things down he'll get up to speeds and yeah i mean right now if you're if you're McLaren, I think basically you've got to be thinking, well, if we can get a fifth place in a race, that's good because one should assume that we've got two Mercedes and two Red Bulls in front. And I think that we're going to see probably all the way through the season, McLaren and Ferrari very evenly matched to be the best of the rest. I think this weekend, Ferrari was a clear step ahead. And I think that, yeah, it's probably going to swing from track to track. But I think that, yeah, it was good that Ricardo I think, got back into his groove a little bit this weekend. I think that there's not really a lot more they could have done with the race so I think they can be happy with that and uh, yeah we're going to Monaco next which obviously is a, a very sort of happy track for Ricardo. he tends to go really really well they obviously the victory in 2018 and uh, I think that that will it's an important boost to get now when you're going to I think the the confidence tracks of all the confidence tracks you need to be confident at Monaco with what you've got underneath you and I think that this weekend has indicated that Ricardo is I think getting close to if not there with this McLaren. Yeah, and a brilliant bounce back from last weekend when obviously he was quite disheartened by his qualifying performance. But yeah, came back this weekend and put put in a good, solid effort. I want to talk about Lando Norris. As we know, he got the black and white flags for his defensive move as Carlos Sainz um, tried to overtake. 
Can one of you just talk us through why he got the black and white flags for anyone that might have missed that or not understood what warranted the flags? I don't mind who wants to take this. It was the wandering and dithering, wasn't it? I, I suppose the, the the question we should be asking is why did he get the black and white flag when various other people didn't? Because there was an awful lot of well, wandering. Well, we can go straight into that as well. Yes, let's do that. You can you can compare and contrast. Yeah, it, 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 he he did. The, I suppose there's a line to be drawn between wandering on the straight to help try and break the toe and moving in in the breaking zone. But the fact was there were an awful lot of people who were doing both and some got punished for one and not the other and others got warned for the other and not the one, shall we say. And there was a, a marked lack of consistency in in that, to my mind. But um, I don't know, perhaps perhaps Michael was having a little chat. Sorry, Mikey. Mikey was having a little chat with Toti uh, and you know discussing dinner plans or whatever and, and didn't quite see whatever was going on. I don't think we're on terms for Mikey, just to clarify. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting. And obviously you are referring to Stroll, mm. who was under investigation, but nothing further came of it. Correct? Yep, he was He was investigated. He went, because he went um, off track when he was sort of defending a position mm-hmm. and didn't re- didn't didn't rejoin the circuit uh, on on the left of the bollard as he's supposed to at turns one two. But he did give the position back. He did, so you can understand you can understand why that that was way through. But he he also put the swerve on. I, I let me. Who, who did he do it to? I I've got it. Gasly, yeah, it was Gasly. Yeah, it was Gasly coming through. Now that that was towards the end of the race, and. It was when Stroll and various other people... Where where are my notes? Um, I really hope that the microphone picks up Codders like flipping through his notebook notebook because that is... That's proper... That's proper note-taking. None of this, like... None of this tweeting your race notes or digitising your race notes. I want proper pen to paper, lap charts, everything. Yeah. Please tell me that's what you've that got That is what I've got over here. And it's in my special notebook from Mexico, which has got the little ribbon that's supposed to keep you place, but which has actually um, dropped right out. And now I don't know where it is. So the, that's one for the cats to find. I was going to say, did your cats pull it uh, out? No, but um, they, they they would have done. It's probably best that it's removable because they uh, there was another, I did have another similar book where one of them was on my lap and started playing with the little placeholder and ended up, ripping it off the uh, off the top of the desk and then of course you know they run away and say but how dare you do this terrible horrifying thing to me it wasn't me anyhow i found the right place in my notes yes so stroll along with Riken and, and and vettel had you know pitted quite early for softs and were trying to do 20 26 odd laps on them and were rapidly losing pace towards the end of the race so you you, you saw there was a phase where there was a huge battle going on for 10th um, and Alonso was involved in it as well and it was all quite tight and Stroll was doing well. It looked like Stroll had got a top 10 position nailed down. Then all, all of a sudden he started going backwards and Gasly was challenging him. That whole DRS train was broken up. And I, I don't know, perhaps Lance thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll not have DRS in this town. I'll just wander all over the road and explore every inch of asphalt. And he, he properly did a swerve in the braking zone. And to my mind, he should have had a book, perhaps not necessarily this notebook, thrown at him for doing so. I want to move found on to... I found my ribbon. <laughs> Sorry. Let's talk about the Alpines now. They had a stronger weekend. Esteban Ocon qualified brilliantly yesterday, P5, but then he ended up finishing ninth whilst Fernando Alonso finished P17. Now, of course, Fernando was actually in that battle for the points for that P10 position, but then his tyres fell off and he ended up hitting again, which is what dropped him back. But what is it that's not clicking for the Alpines when it comes to race day? Because like we said, yesterday was a strong performance from Espan specifically, but doesn't doesn't seem to carry on into race day. What's going on there, Jess? Well, I think t- today they're very different scenarios, and I think uh, as we've as we touched on with uh, with Carlos, what was really costly for Ocon was dropping two places at the start um, and not being able to make up ground and kind of getting stuck. Um, so that for him was really where it all started to fall apart, which is a shame because, yeah. as you said, 
cracking qualifying from him um, and yeah with, with Fernando it was again just tyre strategy just didn't come to play but I did really enjoy that battle for 10th so did um, I towards the end I loved that it that was uh, you know that's when I was like oh okay no Spanish Grand Prix we're here alright there's stuff happening stuff is happening don't panic um, and it was quite interesting to have all those cars all together coming together but yeah so unfortunate for Fernando because he was just getting picked off one by one and it's always like it's just quite painful to watch that happen because he went from a point to like the very rear end of uh, of the grid. So it's uh, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. So, but I think yeah, very very different outcomes for both drivers. And but I think you know, I think they came the, the Alpine team came off the the back of Portimao, wondering if their their pace performance that we'd seen was a fluke. And I think based on qualifying, we saw that it's it's not. And actually they've got something together that's that's competitive. So I think again, for us as as fans and pundits or whatever we want to call ourselves, um it, it, that's exciting because it means there's another midfield team in the mix that's going to be competitive and what we're going to see is that uh, each different team obviously comes into their own at different racetracks based on how they've they've set, they're setting up the car. But to know that the Alpine pace that we saw out last time wasn't a fluke is great again not reflected in this race so well but i think that's that is down to the nature of the track and not necessarily the nature of the of the car i think they came away from the weekend feeling very happy and very positive and fernando alonso he said after the race that okay i may have finished 17th and behind nicholas latifi and a williams but he he was very happy he said that he's happy that the pace is good he's happy that the signs that they saw at Portimao it wasn't a one-off and he said that he's actually quite confident that Alpine can be the fifth fastest team this year and I think that from what we've seen over the past couple of races I think that does tally up I think that maybe AlphaTauri perhaps were a bit I think flattered maybe in Bahrain and I think since then we've maybe perhaps seen a bit of a truer reflection of where they actually are Aston Martin as we know have got their struggles so I think the Alpine I think they can really confidently say look we can go for P5 this year they're going to be a bit of a step behind Ferrari and McLaren but I think yeah fifth they can definitely go for and I think they've got the car right now to do that and I think also we really need to give credit to Esteban Ocon for the job that he's doing because he had this two-time world champion come into the team and have so much fanfare made around him and the questions of oh what's going to happen to Ocon but actually he's done such a good job this season he's out qualified Alonso for three races in a row I don't know when the last time that happened was but I know that Alonso is someone who's very very protective and fragile about his qualifying record against his teammates so that won't go down well with him no matter how much karma he is now he's come back to f1 and i think that yeah i think ocon i think that ninth today was probably the most he really could have done to be honest but he he got there and i think he deserves a lot of credit for that performance um i asked him after the race and said sort of about the off the drop between qualifying and the race and how he feels and he said that yeah maybe over one lap that car is just stronger than it is over a race run but there are still the good signs that, okay, we can be up there in that midfield fight. And I think that, again, looking to Monaco, which is so important for qualifying, if he can pull off a similar result and stick that car in the top five, he's got a really good chance to hold it there. So, yeah, I think Alpine, okay, they're only coming away from Spain with two points, but actually the signs for the rest of the season are really looking quite good. And I think, as you said, Luke, that's really it's really poignant because I think Ocon was a driver that I had highlighted at the beginning um of the of the season as as needing to have a really good season and was under a bit of would maybe be under a bit of pressure if they didn't come out and perform so to see him up there to see him where we we know he can be we've seen how competitive he can be um to to have him back up there against uh, a teammate like fernando uh is 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 great to see so yeah massive commendation for him yeah, solid performances from Ocon and credit where it's due, like you guys have said. And as you said earlier, Jess, if you were to just look at the results today, it wouldn't be entirely reflective, actually, of the improvements that we've had, especially with Fernando Alonso coming in P17, ultimately. Um, and hats off to them that they are actually up there contesting with the midfield, because I can remember in the first podcast of the season, we were stressing about Alpine and thinking how poor the car looked. So they've definitely made some strong improvements there. As we just mentioned, there was that battle for P10 and for that final point, and it, the points ended up with Pierre Gasly. 
Um, but we saw that he had that five second penalty for not being in the right place um, on the grid at the start. That's pretty disappointing because type of mistake that you're kind of just handing away time, aren't you, Luke? Yeah, you'd fail your driving test for that, wouldn't you? If, you? if you're pulling up at some red lights and you go a little bit beyond <laughs> beyond the white line, and uh, yeah, no, it was a I think a very a very basic error, and I, th- I again I don't really know the sort of the explanation behind it, whether it's just a bit of brain fade or some miscommunication or what. But yeah, very sort of silly error that in the end it it, it was it was costly. Uh, but I think it's the kind of thing that he'll now never, ever do again because I'm sure that he'll have in the back of his mind as he comes up to the starting grid thinking, oh God, Spain 21. Remember when I, I, I did that? Um, yeah, and I think that, I think it's been a, a bit of a difficult weekend. I think for Alfatari as a whole, I think that, to come away with a point, I think is actually quite a good end result, all things considered. I think Gasly did well in that final fight, but again, you've got a question, should he really have, have been there in the first place if he hadn't had that, that five second penalty and, and it'd be so uh, closely knit. But um, yeah, I think that Aftari, it's uh, particularly with Yuki Tsunoda's struggles as well. I think that they've really got to come away from this weekend and go, okay, well, where actually are we in the pecking order? Are we as strong as we thought we were in pre-season? Or was it that we just had Bahrain absolutely nailed down, hence a good race um, for race one as well? And since then, it's all been a little bit underwhelming. So I think that, yeah, they've got a bit of work to do. Uh, But yeah, Pierre, he'll, I mean, yeah, he'll learn, he'll come back stronger from that. As we've just said, Stroll didn't end up um, getting that penalty. Stroll finished P11, Vettel P13. Both the drivers were sporting these new updates that we know that Stroll had uh, previously, but Vettel didn't. We have seen big improvements from Alpine this season. Do you think that we may see similar from Aston Martin? That, you know, when when things start clicking, maybe things will start looking up for them and they'll really be in that midfield battle or not so much cod as you're pulling faces so i'm gonna go to you well you know we we have we've had these bants before in previous podcasts haven't we about aston martin's performance yeah i i hope they do uh find some improvements with that car because the development progress the development process hasn't gone smoothly for them over the winter uh and you know, i think as we discussed last time on our on our friday podcast maybe it's because they're they have less experience of running a a a low rate car so the the development has been slower um but they they do seem to be pretty much up there in terms of adding new bits like we've we've seen the the the, the z-shaped floor as we must now call it being put on and a few more adventurous things being done around the side trim so it looks like they're they're kind of getting there uh, the question is what what sort of a job are, is the are the drivers doing and stroll i thought he, to begin with he was pretty good he put a really decent pass on alonso early on which i thought was clean and brave and well double brave you know if you're talking about a double world champion at his home grand prix so overtaking him where he did wasn't easy so that was impressive obviously as as previously mentioned his um defense against gasly less impressive but those cars just drifted backwards. So how much of it was strategy? It's, it's tricky to tell because they were both drivers were expected to do long stints on soft tyres at the end. So you then have to ask yourself, did they think that that would be a strategic... Well, obviously they did, otherwise they wouldn't have done it. But um, what, what data led them to think that would be a strategic advantage to do a, a relatively long stint on soft tyres at the end. Did they think that the track would have rubbered in sufficiently? Was it a gamble? If it was a gamble, why did they do it with both drivers? Uh, it, it's tricky to say. Or maybe that that's just whatever, whatever tyres they had left. Or it just, it just feels like they're not quite as sharp as they used to be, which is quite weird. I don't know if it's because having Papa Stroll around and his shareholders and lots of Americans who talking marketing gobbledygook has put a little bit of stress on the the racing side but um they, they just seem to be less of the crack racing team that gets makes a little go a long way than they used to be yeah it's a real shame to see because as we've said before coming into this season so many people had such high hopes for the team and for Vettel moving there and it's just not materializing um and yeah we're having the same conversation every weekend so far but moving on swiftly from it let's talk about George Russell uh he qualified 15th and came home p14 just after Vettel but he had been close to getting into the points for a lot of the afternoon but it didn't end up quite materializing Jess what did you think of George's performance today it is good to see the Williams fighting 
And yeah, he was riding in the points, but ultimately he was going to drop back and it was a bit of a shame, really. So, you know, I know that the entire world is just willing for Russell in the points to to happen uh, in a Williams, but uh, it evaded him again today. And I think, you know, uh, I actually didn't see much of his uh, post-race stuff, so I don't know how he's feeling or how the team's feeling, but they can come away from this race feeling, like, I think positive on the whole, uh, even if uh, the points still, still evaded them. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it'd be interesting to know from you guys what, what how uh, the Williams were feeling afterwards because I missed it. So yeah, George Russell actually after the race was quite upbeat. He said that the car felt the best it had ever felt in a race, which is, I think that's a, a huge sort of praise for Williams and the job they're doing. And I think, again, it shows the big step forward they've made this year. And we we know, again, we're, as Jess said, willing for him to get those points. And obviously we had Imola where he was P10 again and then uh, had the collision with Valtteri Bottas. And we we know sort of the peaky aerodynamic philosophy of that car means that when we have weekends like Portsmouth where it's very windy, it really transforms the car, makes it very difficult. And I think that Spain was a track that I think, as everyone's been saying, it's really going to show you just how good the car actually is. So for him to come away and say that, I think that's that's really really good I think the strategy Williams did pitting uh, both cars under the safety car I think that was very very sensible could get them onto the mediums nice and early and yeah I think that again a bit like Alpine okay they've not come away with a great result finishing what 14th and 16th but to come away with that kind of feedback I think that's a really really good sign so yeah lots of positives from Williams to take I think even if they again weren't able to pick up any points and they made more of that strategic gamble or that strategic play than uh, Alfa Romeo did because uh, Alfa brought um, the driver known to many as Joe Vinazzi, which is not the name on his birth certificate, um, in at the same time. And literally towards the end of the race, he was going backwards and Williams were, you know, making decent progress because they, they didn't do a super long stint on the mediums, did they? They actually sort of pitted at a, a more or less the same time as everyone else did. So they they gave their drivers a good solid platform. They knew they weren't going to lose anything by pushing them on mediums early. Uh, and that gave them a lot of strategic flexibility as, as the race developed. So I kind of thought there, there, was, there was nothing to lose from from doing that. And as it turned out, there was there was no late race safety car to change the the complexion of the race. But had things fallen differently, that might have looked uh, even cleverer than it did. Can we just talk about Antonio Giovinazzi, uh, who ended up finishing P15, splitting the Williams? But that disastrous pit stop where the tyre that they were going to put on appeared to already be punctured what on earth happened there i've not seen that happen before do we know any more about that it was a valve it was a valve problem right they, i think yeah. there was a was there's a been a valve, valve failure, failure on the tire and uh so it came out of the garage uh not quite inflated enough so and I, think I mean but you thought it th- needs to be given to the team actually for spotting that and not putting it on the car and sending mm. him on his merry way and then having to pull over so i think that that's yeah. good even though i was watching it thinking oh this is farcical but actually credit to them for realizing and saving his race i think uh luke you mentioned uh it was it was like uh mercedes hockenheim all over yeah, again it's good like, to see it was the pit crew from there has got new employment Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit, bit, bit Benny Hill, wasn't it? Um, them running around because then obviously they have to swap. They have to swap all sets of tires because they can't. Uh, they can't not match. Yeah. So they've got to. They've, they've got to pull them out, and it was just a bit of a bit of a shame, really. But yeah, I mean, great TV for us. Kept again, mm-hmm. like woke me up a little bit when it started to lull a little it was like oh okay there's something happening here so it's a, it's, it's like a little bit of a jab in the ribs for the, that race occasionally gave gave you that little sort of poke to keep you awake like luke said at least they didn't send him out on the tire that would have been much much more dramatic now the final two were the hash drivers of schumacher and mazpin didn't really see much of them in today's race are there any particular comments on either of their performances and there's been more wholesome mick schumacher content on the internet as well because he appeared to overshoot at his, his pit stop for one point and the front jack man was sort of shown just sort of right putting his hands like that as if to say just calm down don't worry it's all going to be okay so uh yeah i want to see if there's any radio messages from gary gannon to mix i've really enjoyed that this season uh, again in a different postcode to 
Nikita Mazepin. I think uh, another really good display from Mick. I think that, I think, yeah, Haas, look, we know this season's going to be a write-off for them. We know that any race where they either beat a Williams or out-qualify a Williams, that's a good result. So I think, yeah, credit to Mick where it's deserved because I think out-qualifying Latifi yesterday was a really good effort. So yeah, it's going to be a learning season for both of them. So to get two cars home, fair play. I did notice that the internet trolls or whoever it might be have been racing Mazepin again in the driver of the day I think he came fourth was it um which is strange and questionable well Count Binface did quite well in the London mayoral election didn't he so uh... he did actually (laughs) something in the water at the moment um but we are all out of time so just to finish up looking forward to Monaco and the season ahead um, jumping back to the front of the pack, it's clear that the battle between Max and Lewis is well and truly on. Next up is Monaco. What do Red Bull need to do now if they really want to um, keep this fight alive and you know ultimately take it from Mercedes? And second place. Okay. There you go, Checo. Well, P2 or in I've, I'm sure Dr. Marco will be stepping into the shoes of the uh, absent Alan Sugar and go, you're fired. Hopefully not. Let's hope not. Um, But that is it for another race weekend. We will be back in two weeks for round five in Monaco. Drop me a message on Instagram or Twitter at Ariana Bravo F1. Tell me your thoughts on the season so far. And thank you for tuning in once again. Why not head over to Autosport Plus right now where you can read Jonathan Noble's article on why McLaren doesn't doubt Ricardo can escape his dark place. Marcus Simmons writes on how a returning champion is feeling at home again in the BTCC and Megan White discusses how two F3 stars face new challenges from very different perspectives. And new subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code podcast during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com forward slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page. Use the promo code podcast and grab that 50% discount. And thank you guys for joining me to chat. It was a pleasure as always. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. AT&T Fiber presents a straightforward moment. Your wine? Thanks. I'll pretend I know what I'm doing before saying it's good. And I'll pretend I don't know you're pretending. Are you a gagillionaire? Yeah, I have AT&T Fiber. The straightforward pricing has inspired me to be more straightforward. Me too. Ugh, this wine. I'll fetch you a better one. Straightforward is better. No equipment fees, no data caps, no price increase at 12 months. Live like a gagillionaire with AT&T Fiber. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.